All right, welcome to episode four of the Best Side Podcast. Um, pretty exciting to bring this one. Now, this actually, this next guest, I've known for a very, very long time. Uh, Brooke and I worked out that we'd known each other for about 12, 13 years. And pretty funny, we'd actually had some pretty big, deeper, meaningfuls along the way, randomly or sporadically. Uh, we were in a situation where we were sort of living together at one stage, uh, unofficially, we worked out. And whenever we'd see cross each other kind of in common areas of the house or we bumped into each other at parties, we'd always end up kind of talking about some pretty big stuff. But I honestly had no idea until we sat down for this conversation uh, exactly what she had going on in her life. And it was pretty crazy to think that I was on the fringes and stuff, had no idea that these things were happening. So uh, throughout this conversation, Brookie touches on so many things. Um, she touches on moving around a lot, uh, touches on toxic relationships, touches on um, childbirth as well. So there's lots of interesting themes and stuff in here that I know a lot of people are going to relate to. One of the big things that she talks about is how she turned one of her fears um, or a really tough time that she was going through, how she kind of turned it into one of her greatest assets. And I don't want to ruin the surprise. So I'm going to leave that for you guys to hear. So, look, thank you once again for joining us. Here it is, episode four of Best Side, Brooke Barrett, Living Above the Line. First question I always ask, and you've listened before, so you'd know probably, is where did you grow up? Where were you born? And all that sort of thing. Yeah, cool. Mm. Well, uh, New Plymouth here. I, the first three years of my life, I lived on a cool little farm in Opanaki. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's still, like, now, yeah, even now, obviously, like, here feels like home, and where I am with Justin feels like home, but there's always one place that definitely, like, you know, you visit and you just feel, like, wholesome or whatever, Anytime I go through Opanaki, it's just like, oh, that relief of going home. Yeah. But I only lived there until I was three years old. Crazy. We had a farm there, I think, though, until I was maybe seven. So we lived in Palmerston North. We used to travel backwards and forwards nearly every weekend. To the coast. Yeah, to um, just come back and check up on the farm. And then we ended up moving back up here um, in between Oakara and Okado above the cheese factory. Oh, yeah? Not literally above the cheese factory as in, in the <laughs> cheese factory, but just up from the cheese factory. So, yeah, I always grew up on farms, really. And then I uh, was back here until I was, I think, 18. Uh, moved to Wellington for five years and studied fashion design there. Um, I just did a diploma, so I studied for two years, and then a certificate of business, which I didn't end up finishing in the end because I moved to the States because I was offered a job over there. Oh, cool. Yeah, for managing a fabric store. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I'm interested in the in the whole Opinaki thing, like how it kind of just really resonates. Any theories as to why that may be? Uh, yeah, there's a good few. Yeah. So, my parents broke up when I was 12, 11, 12, and I think for me, like, I'm, like, I was only three or four when we moved from Opanaki, but for me, that's when I have the most positive memories of being a family, being yep. like a happy family, you know, and then, yeah, I mean, moving place, it would you know, 
caused so much disruption for a family. Yeah, so especially then, at that age, if you were held three, yeah, four, three five. or four, yeah. and so. But yeah, I've got so many good memories and real visual memories as well. Like I can remember the layout of the farm. I can remember where the bridges are, where the fences are, the trees at the back of the paddock just before the river. Crazy. Like, yeah, the memory's so strong from there. So I think that's probably why. They just like really, like probably got all the, like the memories are attached to emotion, eh? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And like you're saying, a lot of that, um, it's attached to kind of that, a very peaceful, tranquil time. Because like, one, two, three, you probably don't remember specifics, but you remember how you feel. Absolutely. You know, there's that token saying, like, people don't remember what you do, they remember how you make them feel. Definitely. And that place probably gave you a bit of peace. Absolutely. So then I'm guessing, and tell me if I'm wrong, but from that point on, it was a pretty hectic thing, was it? Yeah, I guess it was just a lot of changes. Like, um, my dad went to study um, horticulture and agriculture, and mum was also working... Um, she was a makeup artist and she she had four girls my my both my parents they had four girls i think at time under the age of 8 which is full on yeah 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 so moving schools finding daycare both parents working um you know so it was yeah it was pretty full on but i honestly i don't really remember too much from the 3 years that we lived there mm. yeah and where'd you head to after that, into town? Or? Yeah, yeah, back to Tadnaki. Sweet. Yeah. Tell me about mum and dad then. They sound like hard workers, obviously. Yes, definitely. They both grew up as farmers oh, yeah. um, around the coast. Mum was Rahotu and dad was Okanaki. Um, so I guess, yeah, growing up on the farm, that's what you do. You work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're still both definitely hard workers now. Um, my dad's still in the farming industry here in Tadnaki. Um, and my mum and her partner Gerald have been running a family photography business. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like, as well as hard work, like the arts have always been pretty prominent in your life from... Yeah, definitely. Well, I've got three sisters um, and two half-brothers, but my three sisters and I, we all are quite artistic in our own sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we always talk about it, and we think it stems back from... Well, Dad was a really good drawer, um, and he played the guitar. Mum, she would, I remember, always have, like, a little kit ready to go for us for, like, arts and crafts or something, or, you know, she always had something for us to do when we finished school. So, yeah, also, <laughs> it just reminded me... Mm-hmm. Um, something now if I ever get stressed I all I can hear in my mind is ABBA playing oh okay <laughs> and that sounds completely ridiculous well um, give us context though you're about to give us context so growing up on the farm yeah uh mum this is so different to any farm that I've ever heard of but I that's know, amazing ABBA. yeah 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 so, ABBA drawing like you know yeah. a... well mum she well, and Dad, they created this huge garden. I remember we had one in Opanaki. We didn't have one in Palmerston North, but my dad always says when we moved there, I cried for weeks because there was no flowers. Maybe that's why I don't remember Palmerston North so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but then when we moved back in uh, between Okado and Okura, 
my mum and dad, they'd created another huge garden. I think they joined together two big paddocks to make it. It was huge. And mum wouldn't like us being inside after school, so she would lock the doors, turn Abba up as loud as it would go, and make us play outside. <laughs> At the time, we hated it, but yeah. now, obviously, Abba has somehow become like a calming yeah, 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 yeah. for me. <laughs> That's funny. You must have like a quiet laugh to yourself, too, like if you're ever out at parties or whatever and like Abba comes on you must have like <laughs> yeah. a quiet little cackle to yourself definitely not that Abba actually comes on all too often while I'm out at parties yeah yeah but <laughs> well, I just know that like at like at the occasional wedding or like 50th yeah. it's quite can be token music oh, sometimes so yeah. that's hilarious <laughs> so you, your sisters kind of have this little joke that you make with each other about it is it <laughs> yeah so tell me about some of the creative stuff they do what do they do what so my older sister, she's quite an entrepreneur in her own ways. She is also a mother, a solo mother of three under the age of nine. Far out. Um, she's super creative. She does fire dancing, um, fire poi, hooping. She does acrobatics. Um, she is a musician herself. She's always doing different creative things around the community. Mm. Um, she's a big advocate for mental health as well. She's just starting up um, a group about consent here in Taranaki, um, which is really awesome to yeah. hear. Um, and then, so that's my older sister. She's two years older than me. Then I've got another younger sister, Rebecca. She is a cheerleading instructor up in Auckland. True. She's really good at what she does. Really, really good. And then there's my younger sister, Michaela. Um, she is really creative in her own ways as well. So my two younger sisters, they're both school teachers. So Rebecca, she's a high school teacher. Michaela, she's a primary school teacher. And so obviously with that is a lot of creativity in mm. their own sense as well. So yeah, pretty cool. Do they have like kind of their own discussions about the differences of teaching and stuff like that where they get together at family stuff? Or? Oh, yeah, they yeah. definitely do. Do they yeah. debate a lot? or? Well, they're still quite different, you know, the high school and the primary. So, well, those two are really close growing up just because the age and then myself and my older sister were because of our ages. So it's quite funny that they're both doing teaching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. And what about, like, have you guys always got on the four of you together or have there been times when you've gone away from each other and you've all come back or...? Yeah. There's a lot of different guests I speak to. It seems to be that they're always close or they've gone and done their own thing for like a gap of, you know, they're close when they were younger. They go away for maybe five, sometimes ten years, and then they've kind of just started to come back together now. What sort of path have you guys taken? Well, I guess we are all so similar in so many ways, but we all have such differences as well. Mm-hmm. Like, looking at us, some people say that we look so the same. Other people think that they can't even see, like, a resemblance between us. Um, but that's kind of the same with our personalities as well. So when we get together, it's, like, full on. <laughs> because everyone's trying to talk on top of each other. Or <laughs> and... quite extroverted or yeah. maybe that's not even the term, but, like, Absolutely. like to control the convo. Definitely, because, I mean, growing up with... You know, four girls, there's always going to be competition, mm. you know. I never thought I was a competitive person, but <laughs> oh, it turns out I definitely am. <laughs> it's funny, eh? Like, you yeah. always say that, and then when you look at your relationships with your siblings or even your parents to a degree, you're like, oh, definitely. no, shit, actually. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, so uh, I guess we're, we all 
got along really well growing up. We used to really look out for one another, which is really cool. Um, my older sister and I, we both moved out of home around the same time. I think I was maybe 17 and my older sister, she would have been 19. Um, so I feel like I missed out on a lot of my younger sister's um, mm-hmm. teenagers yep. because... You were out of home. Yeah, you know, so a part of me always wishes that I was around more for that, but I mean, you can't turn back time, mm. <laughs> but we've got pretty cool um, relationships now, which is awesome. Wicked. Yeah. And then tell me about school then. How was your experience with school? Oh, school was a really tricky one for me. Yeah. So I went to Girls High. Mm-hmm. It was a great school, but <laughs> I, I think... I um, hit a really rough patch personally when I was 12. Um, It was all around the time that my parents broke up. And it wasn't necessarily because they broke up. It was just because there were so many changes going on at that time in my life. So we were out at the farm. Um, Dad moved into Okura. We moved into town. There was just a lot of disruption. Yeah. And then also, like, trying to make new friends at that time. I think emotionally and mentally I was quite occupied, preoccupied. So then... You mean, like, in a, in a busy sense or yeah, vacant sense? Both, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Maybe so busy I was vacant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So um, I always had quite bad anxiety growing up. And I think it really heightened around that time. So I guess my way of going to school was going to school and challenging people. Mm. So I like to think that I was always a nice person, but I would always like ask questions on why why this, why that, why are you doing it that way? And the teachers couldn't stand it. (laughs) Um, And so I was always disruptive in the class. And I don't really know what my reasoning for doing it was. Um, I think it was probably just to feel like I had a voice maybe. Yeah. Because I was also really shy when I was younger at that same time. Mm. So it was it was quite a funny balance, but that kind of stuck with me right the way through high school. Um, you mean the challenge yeah, aspect of yourself? Definitely, all of it. And then I, again, hit a really rough patch when I think I was... Well, I kind of like faded in and out of them. Out of rough patches? Yeah, well... Depths of rough patches. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really feel like I got out of a rough patch until maybe four or five years ago. So, yeah, going through high school was quite a challenge. What do you put it down to? Um, not being able to grasp my emotions, um, my courage, my self-belief. I had a lot of doubt in myself, mm-hmm. um, and I think, yeah, that definitely stemmed a lot of negativity in most aspects of my life at that stage. <laughs> and what sort of, well, tell me about those then, like, how has that changed, or how 
have things adjusted or how have you come at peace with certain stuff because at a lot of time it's not always about changing it no. sometimes it's about at the risk of sounding super corny like it's about just changing you know your glasses and seeing the world through a different pair of shades you know and, absolutely um, absolutely tell us yeah like kind of how did you navigate those things like at school at the time like mm. you know you, you've mentioned some rough patches what were some of the can you tell us about some of the real tough times that you went through or some some direct examples yeah. obviously without mentioning people's names and no, stuff like absolutely. that absolutely absolutely well you can if you want to but i don't <laughs> expect you to no, we'll keep names out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, when I was 16, mm. I fell into a relationship that at the time I thought it was really nice because we were both suffering quite emotionally and being able to understand one another was a really nice thing. Yep. However, being so young and getting so caught up in such a emotional relationship mm. was extremely detrimental to my mental health. Because I have always been a character that I will do anything for someone. Mm. And so at that stage when you're partying... Um, I wasn't going home as much, you know, so I carried a lot of uh, guilt and I stopped doing things for myself. So I stopped going to school, I started drinking quite heavily, um, I wouldn't turn up to my job, I was starting to just like lack in all areas of my life. Um, and then I... How did that stuff come to be? Was it just a... A lack of self, like you didn't care about yourself anymore, or yeah, I think so. And I also think it was like at the time, like I mentioned, I was quite shy, so it's funny because I've always been quite outgoing, but I've been quite outgoing because I'd been so shy. So I was interesting if that makes sense. Not to me, it doesn't, but there's someone out there, yeah. So I guess it comes from being so anxious as well all the time. Mm. I'm not anymore, thank you wood mm. <laughs> um, at the moment at the moment yeah <laughs> so I think it it's like how you can be what's the word if you're extroverted or introverted mm. you can be introvertedly extroverted yep. or so on so for me like going into a, a social situation I'd have to like really amp myself up so in the morning or something before school like if I didn't really like you know give myself that real positive push then the day was going to be a shambles and when I started drinking when I was at high school I think that I stopped giving myself that positive push um and then yeah I guess everything kind of came downhill from there so I was 17 I was in a really bad relationship I just fell pregnant and I was at high school still and I kind of thought okay what am I doing with my life I needed to like sort myself out anyway I decided not to go ahead with the pregnancy because of my relationship at the time and then the guilt from that was just so overpowering. Mm. So I started drinking even more. A few weeks later, I ended up getting DIC'd. 
and then slippery slope extremely and so it was kind of at that point that I thought I need to turn my life around so I you're 17 at this point yes so I um, decided to go to university I had already applied but then I decided that I wasn't going to be going then I ended up falling pregnant getting DIC'd and that's when I decided, no, I definitely need to go to Wellington. So I reapplied, I messaged them and said, hey, is there any way that you can get me back in? I applied for the degree. Um, I was accepted, but I decided I wanted to go ahead with the diploma. So they accepted me into the diploma. So then that's okay. within that three weeks, I was down in Wellington and started trying to turn my life around. So before we go into that, 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 um, that ascension of, of putting yourself out of that rut, can I ask, and you don't have to, and I might be prying here, but with um, not going through with the pregnancy, was that a discussion that you guys had together or is that just a choice you made on your own? Uh, that was... I was on my own the whole time. Okay. Yeah. And what, did you consult family or was there anyone that was there for you at the time or was it very much a solo mish? Um, I guess with myself, with anything that I do, I really analyse the situation and if I decide I'm going to do something, I do. If I decide I'm not going to do something, I don't. Mm-hmm. So I think I... I mean, I, I definitely had support from my family um, and from my friends so but it wasn't so much a consultation process it sounds like it was like hey I'm letting you guys know I'm doing this yeah yeah definitely yeah just because I knew it was right for me mm-hmm. yeah but it definitely had its repercussions still mm. yeah yeah well I mean you've mentioned the guilt and mm. I can imagine and that but did that come at a time when you thought sweet and getting stuff back on track now and then the oh, guilt... I, I knew there was going to be repercussions okay. for, for years from all of it, which there was. Um, so from all of that, it took me a lot of checking in with myself mm-hmm. to change things. So at that time, I told myself that I had 10 years <laughs> to get myself to where I wanted to be, which seems like quite a long time. But I knew because of everything that I was going through, my mental state, um, I just changed city, everything that I'd mentioned previously, it was going to take a really long time. Mm -hmm. So I told myself that by the time I was 27, I wanted to have um, really changed myself and turned into someone that I could be really proud of. Um, And I turned 27 last year and it was quite a uh it was an amazing year for me because I came to the realization that I had actually achieved everything in myself that I wanted to crazy yeah really really crazy and now still um I feel like proud of myself every day even if I'm maybe not having the most amazing day Mm. but it's because I know that I got myself through all of that yeah yeah. I'm stoked that you can be proud of yourself. Like so yeah. many people feel bad or they feel it's arrogant or cocky to Definitely. be proud of themselves. Well I think so I felt so, so bad about hear. myself for so long that I feel like there's no time for that anymore. <laughs> You've got to be proud of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Is it quite 
funny, not funny, haha, but funny, ironic, you know, looking back at who you were at that time? I don't even know myself. It's honestly like looking back, it's like a nightmare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, just I would never want to, I would never want to see anyone living through a lot of that. So it's, yeah, I'm, I honestly, I always think that I'm just so different to how I used to be and it, that's such a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we've, you've, we've arrived at you starting to study and stuff. How Tell us about how that all got started. Was it hard to begin with? Was it? Uh, yeah, well, the, getting there was a really big achievement for me um, because, again, like I'd self-doubted myself right the way through in previous years on where I was going, you know, in life, what I was doing. Mm. But... From a really young age, I was always into fashion. So I remember probably being seven or eight and having sketchbooks that I would draw clothing in. Cool. Yeah, and I remember I wasn't allowed to use a sewing machine until, or maybe I just wasn't allowed to get a sewing machine until I went to intermediate. So I would hand sew all these pieces that on reflection were absolutely atrocious. <laughs> probably falling apart but I'll wear them to school to primary school <laughs> so proud of myself um and then I kind of lost that creativity and then back at high school again I um noticed that like on mufti days and things people would always ask me about my clothes like where I got them from or that they liked what I was wearing and then I was like cool like this makes me feel really confident because I'm five nine and I've been the same height since I was 11 or 12 far out so you've gone from being a really tall person to kind of just well you're still tall before I don't know yeah I guess so yeah well at that age at 11 11 though that's bonkers (laughs) that's so tall like such a (laughs) beanpole but so finding clothes to fit me then was really hard Mm. Um, and being so thin as well, people would assume that I had an eating disorder when I didn't, which really knocked my confidence as well. Fuck yeah. So then, yeah, for years, not knowing how to dress myself because I, one, couldn't fit anything, two, had no confidence in myself, so I didn't feel good in anything, Mm. and then I started to notice that people liked what I wore when it was something that I made. So... From then, that's what made me really want to go to university and see if that was something that I did really enjoy. Um, and then, yeah, it's what I'm doing now, and it's what gives me happiness every day. So it's pretty cool. I think the thing that gives me the most happiness from the make, making the clothing that I do is the joy that it gives other people. Mm. And just seeing, I guess that same joy that I get from it. Yep. Finding clothing that fits me, it's, yeah, it's a really nice thing. Yeah, well, if people are complimenting you on what you've got on, not knowing that you had designed it, you know, I'm talking about when you are at school and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it must be pretty cool now that people are still complimenting it, even if you're not wearing it, someone else is, and now they know that you've designed it. Yeah, definitely. It must be a different kind of buzz. Yeah, it's, it's really rewarding. Yeah. And you touched on um, the, the eating disorder thing. Can you remember when that first started, or was, had that just always been a thing because you were, as you said, a beanpole in your own words? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think um, 
the very first strong memory I have of it, which I think uh, it actually still resonates with me quite deeply, is there was a girl, I think I would have been 11, yes I was, and I remember we were on one of the courts one day at school, and she told me how she heard her mum and our friend's mum's talking about my eating disorder and Mm. at that stage this was also when my parents were breaking up and I was already extremely emotional that that really hurt me because I kind of just thought at the time that Shay was just taking a dig at me but then later on I was playing netball one day (coughs) excuse me (laughs) And I actually heard her mum and her friends standing there talking about how sad it was that I can be so young and have such a horrible eating disorder when I was standing right there and I could hear them. Mm. And that was the most horrible thing and it still affects me now, years down the track, nearly 20 years down the track. So, yeah, growing up with that, I guess, in the back of my mind all the time probably didn't help my um mental health mm-hmm. yeah and what like, how, how did, did it make you conscious of what you were eating and stuff like that or how did it play into it uh it just made me really feel quite guilty even though it wasn't something that i could control it wasn't even something you were doing no I know. It's so fucked. It's so, it's, it doesn't make sense, but that's honestly how it made me feel. Like, it, when people would talk to me, and like, still now, if someone's like, oh, have you even eaten today, or whatever, you know, people uh, throw those things around all the time, just not even thinking that it could be hurtful. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of them, I can imagine, would say, like, I say that to friends, guys and girls, like, if I know they haven't, cause, and I know they're shit at looking after themselves, Yeah. and, I, and he, might be, he might say to me, I'm feeling a bit dizzy. I'm like, well, have you eaten? Like, I'll just say it like that. But then obviously, if we would have that conversation, now I'd understand, I understand that why would that would stick to you, but I wouldn't even yes, think twice, you exactly, know? So, exactly, And I wouldn't mean it in a way like, you look thin, you need to eat. I'll yeah, just mean yeah. like, you're dizzy, have you eaten? Because <laughs> yeah. I know you're shit at eating. Yeah. Whereas you've just heard, did he just tell me I need to eat more? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I've learned from that as well is I've always been uh, quite like an empathetic person, mm. but it definitely throughout my life has made me check the way that I speak to people yeah, or you know just little things that you say on the passing that you don't even think about you know I'm, I'm very conscious of not doing that the one that helped me with that um, is I've got um, some good friends some good family friends and they've been trying for like years to have a baby and they've been together for ages now and people make the throwaway comments like, fuck, when are they going to have kids? Mm. And I'm like, fuck, you got no clue. They've been trying mm. so hard. You don't know all the shit that they're doing. You never know and what's it's, going And it's on crazy how people just like assume that they're not trying. Yes, yeah. Like, it's weird. Yeah. But that's the thing. You never know what someone else has gone through or going through or, yeah, you can never assume. Mm. 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 Fucking nuts. All right, so Wellington finishes what, what? Well, tell me about, like, did you graduate? Yes, yep. I did. Just, I had to get so many um, assignments signed off late because I wasn't in a good place. I 
while I was in Wellington, the first two years, which was the two years that I was doing my diploma, mm. I was in such a bad place mentally um, that I was having really horrific nightmares, um, vivid nightmares all the time. So I couldn't sleep. I think there was nearly like three months that I would sometimes only have three hours sleep a night. Um, and then... That sounds extra horrible to me because I'm such a big sleeper. Uh, Honestly, I had like sleep deprivation for years and after that it was so hard to actually sleep properly. (laughs) Um, But I ended up... How did I change that? I can't even remember. Oh, yeah, I can actually. So, I was finishing my Is this going to be a pro, pro tip on how to sleep better? Or? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. You could try it. <laughs> all right, all right, let's go. So, I was finishing my diploma. I had to do my graduate collection and I had no idea what to do. But at this point, this was when I wasn't sleeping. I was hallucinating all the time because I was so sleep deprived. Mm. Um, Like I would be calling the police because I would think there were people following me. Um, And that was down to literally sleep deprivation Mm. from being so stressed um, and paranoid just from things that had happened previously in life. Um, And then I kind of thought, okay, I maybe am feeling so wound up because I'm such like a visual person, I can't grasp this. So I thought, well, if I can try and turn my emotions and my fears into something physical, then maybe it'll help me to understand Crazy. what's happening. Yep. So my graduate collection, I designed it completely around my nightmares. Fuck! <laughs> Yeah. That's bonkers. And I called it lucid existence because that's exactly what I felt was happening. Um, So I would draw the horrible things from my dreams, my nightmares, and then I turned them into, yeah, all the shapes of my collection. I was going to ask if the nightmares were like a consistent theme sort of thing or if maybe it was completely random at at different times it sounds like they must have been consistent if you were able to put them into a collection yes extremely consistent yeah yeah it's like they would just take off from the previous night it was like it was an ongoing horrible movie fucking hell yeah <laughs> yeah so but i turned it into something positive yeah that's I, it's yeah. fucking crazy like i want to like we've got a big table between us i can't jump up and give you a hug because <laughs> that's such a like a triumphant way to conquer a demon as, as, and that's exactly what they were. Yeah. So, yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. Like, yeah, I I'm like in pure disbelief. That's cool. So, all right, so you start putting it all together. Did anyone ever ask where these ideas came from or were the inspiration? Like, surely that's part of the, yes. the paper, right? Well, it was really confronting for me because, like, all through my previous years until recently, I'd been so afraid of judgment. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like, none of that. It's something that you just walk down the street telling people about, you know. (laughs) So part of the 
um, the design process with our classes that we actually had to stand up in front of the class and talk about our design process, where these things are coming from. So I still super shy. I've never been able to publicly speak before until literally this last year. I was standing up in front of the class telling them all about these horrible nightmares that I was having, how I literally thought I was going to have to check into a mental institute because I was turning schizophrenic and all these things and it was extremely nerve-wracking. But it all turned out to yeah be such a positive thing because it really helped me grasp what I was going through. Yeah. Mm. There's a thing I talk about a lot, um, I've talked about a lot on, on the episodes um, of the podcast with different guests, and it's what I call the boogeyman theory. So it's when you are shit scared of something, but then when you actually see what it is, it's not that scary. Mm. You know, so like when you're told as a kid there's the boogeyman under your bed, like don't hang your feet over or whatever, you, they don't tell you what the boogeyman looks like. Yeah. You create what the boogeyman looks like in your head and exactly. then you start shitting yourself. But then if I was to show you a picture of the boogeyman, you're like, is that all? Yeah. It sounds like the boogeyman was like something that you didn't know and it was freaking out a bit, but then you managed to contextualise it or put it into something tactile definitely and then you're like ah is that all yeah like it helped you or it it helped me to control it when i felt like i couldn't control it before so yeah and then while moving forward i think that's actually how i overcame all of that darkness because i then started um writing um when i was in the states i lived by myself and i worked by myself i was there for two years Mm. well I worked for myself majority of the time, but I did have staff um, that were there part-time as well. But yeah, so spending, moving to a new country by yourself, working by yourself most of the time, and living by yourself, that is a lot of alone time after everything that I had gone through at yeah. that time. But I felt like I really needed that because I felt like I'd been so easily influenced in life from people previously that I needed to just have myself as my own influence and by being by myself it really made me get out there talk to people um, I had amazing experiences I'd go to a different concert just about every weekend by myself I'd meet new people yeah it was really eye-opening it was really cool um, but one of the things that definitely helped me overcome all of those dark days was painting um I started doing a whole lot of self-portraiture and that really helped me to understand my emotions so again turning them into a physical thing mm-hmm. like there's a painting that I've that I did and it's of my face and I look really angry and upset and hurt and underneath I wrote but I really wanted chocolate ice cream <laughs> <laughs> cool <laughs> You're kind of like disempowering the real grumpiness <laughs> yeah. with something kind of comical. Well, I was thinking at the time, like, why am I so upset? Why am I so angry? And then I started painting and I'm just like, oh my gosh, it was from earlier when I wanted to get ice cream and the ice cream that I wanted wasn't there. Like, <laughs> are you serious? And then it made me realise, wow, you've been overthinking everything your whole life. <laughs> so in that one moment, in that one kind of drawing, yeah. you had this mad epiphany about yeah. fucking your perspectives. As I was crying about not having chocolate ice cream. <laughs> that is so trippy. Oh, 
dear. Far out. That's hilarious. So, so in terms of going overseas, how did that all come about? Um, that came about, there was a store that I was working for at the time, um, and they had opened up a store in Los Angeles. So I messaged them and told them that I wanted that job. They had filled the position at that time. So I thought to myself, well, they're obviously going to need someone new at some point. So I'll just set my life up so that if they would ask me to go over there, I could. So I moved out of my apartment. I moved into a little sunroom at someone's house. I was paying $80 a week. Um, but I could move out whenever because they didn't usually rent it out. Um, I started getting rid of all of my clothes. I just started, yeah, minimizing everything in my life. Just made yourself super malleable and able to seize the opportunity if it should arise. And then it did. I got a call one day asking, um... Preparation, man. Yeah. They called and said, hey, um, the positions opened up in the States for the manager's role. Do you want to have a think about it? And I said, yep, go, I'll, I'll go. And I said, when do you want me there? And they're like, three weeks. And they're like, are you sure you don't need to think about it? And I was like, no, I actually set myself up for this. I'm, I've been ready to go. So that kind of just told me as well that, you know, whatever goals you set for yourself, even if you don't necessarily write them down, if you really tune in with yourself and say, this is what I want, then mm. you'll make it happen. Yeah, it's almost um, an essence of manifestation. Absolutely, yeah. Do you oh. practice that sort of thing? Oh, all the time. I um, uh, remember I said before that I told myself when I was 27 I was going to get to a place that I really mm. wanted to be. So, um, funny enough, one of the things was living in California um, or Mexico, <laughs> randomly. Yeah, yeah. I just always felt like I was meant to be there. In Mexico? Yeah. Mexico and Opunaki, yeah. the two homes. I know, I know. <laughs> Oh, maybe someone had like some cool cactus or something on there, who knows. Um, But so I ended up here doing those and yeah, I just came to a really nice place in myself within that time as well. While you're overseas, you mean? Yeah. And as well, so I always told myself that by the age 27, I'd be where I wanted to be because my birthday's on the 27th. I was 17 at the time that I like decided I really needed to make a whole lot of positive changes. So I thought, okay, 10 years, I'll be 27. I'll be turning 27 on the 27th. That's going to be a good thing. you mm. know. And then like looking back, there's so many things on the 27th that have like made sense. So I remember even last year, October 27th my partner and I we sat down and we were like when did we get engaged and we looked back and it just happened to be literally the year before October 27th that we got engaged and then we were thinking back and we were like when did we even meet and I had moved back to New Plymouth I'd been working at Butler's for three days three days after I left my job in the States and there was a gig playing out there and I met Justin that night mm. and I looked back at what night the band played and it was also the 27th <laughs> and then just today I was taking a look and I 
had told myself that by the time I was 27, I'd, you know, I'd want to start speaking publicly about, you know, mental illness and all of that and how you can make positive changes. And today is the 27th. Oh, shit, it yeah, is too. Cool, eh? That is fucked. Yeah, so cool, right? <laughs> yeah, so, in a good way. But that's obviously, in a good way. Yeah, that's obviously just a number that I've made to be like a positive thing, you know? So mm. I've obviously, yeah, I've just set positive things around it. But also just weird that that number has linked up so many times in so many good ways yeah <laughs> yeah i wonder if because we were standing at johnson corner trying with our phones out trying to suss it out and i was I like what about this day and you were like yeah was, was that because you knew i or? didn't realize oh, that at yeah, all. Okay. i didn't realize until this morning and i just thought that's so cool because in the last few months i've had a few opportunities to um really connect with people through public speaking in a sense but I've never really like told my story before mm-hmm. until today, and it's the twenty seventh. So yeah, yeah it feels. And cool. and there's like well, there's been a few times when we were supposed to meet up. Like we got talking like eighteen months yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, eighteen months ago, we were yarning. We're like, yep, we'll get it done. We'll get it done. And <laughs> it's real funny because like you're, you know, you you. You, you're quite planned out with so much plate spinning going on. I have to admit, a lot of mine's done by memory. I don't write a lot of stuff down, but I'm quite good at keeping appointments. Yeah. And then <laughs> somehow we just like, we're like, yep, Damn, let's do it. And then we didn't talk for like, <laughs> we got busy with our shit, which is so weird, but it's all worked out. Yeah, I know. We're, we're here on the right day. So cool, hey. That's crazy. Yeah. Did you get in, like, I have to ask then, is, do you, have you like looked into like numerology and stuff like that or no never gone that far i i try not to look into any of that because it can it can so control you or your direction or things but i just tried to stay on my own path (laughs) but you can understand where the question comes from right like i can imagine like so many people now listening will probably be googling 27 and trying to see what it means and all that sort of stuff well i survived i wasn't in the 27 club so i survived that you lived through it Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you. You mentioned, I just made a note down here that um, you said at one stage that that these days you do a lot of checking in with yourself. Yes. How do you do that? What things do you do? So when I was 12, I had this teacher, Mr. Luckin. He was amazing at Oakra Primary. And he taught our class something called Living Above the Line. And at the time for years how old were you 12 crazy yeah and at the time i kind of just thought like i'm just another annoying lesson you know i want to go out and hang out with my friends (laughs) but yeah later in life it's really resonated with me um so it obviously showed me something important way back then but living above the line um basically to explain it there's a line in the center of a page there's an acronym above the line and there's an acronym below the line. So above the line, we have... I'm drawing this as she says it. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, above the line, we have an a row, B, E, Actually, you know what? D. I'll let you do it. Cool. <laughs> so, beautiful. Pink, my colour. Funny enough, used to like pink. Here I am also today wearing pink. <laughs> All right, so describe it as you're going for the people listening to. So we have a line in the centre of a page. Above the line, we have an acronym going downwards that spells bed. And then below the line, we have another acronym that spells or. Now, above the line, 
Like, uh, a, like an oar, like in a boat, like a rowing oar. Yes. Yep. Yes, thank you. So above the line. Um, oh, sorry. Those are the wrong way around. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Flip it over, start again. So I take that back. We've got O-A-R, an oar, above the line, because if you're using your oar, you're moving forward. Mm. Bed is below the line because... If you're spending lots of time in bed, you're technically staying still to some degree. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not moving forward like if you're using your oar. So if you're using your oar and moving forward <clears throat> in life, you are taking ownership. You're taking accountability. And you are taking responsibility. So... By doing those three things, you can be taking ownership, accountability, and responsibility for your actions, your reactions, your emotions, your thoughts, anything basically that you come across in your day-to-day life. (laughs) If you're living below the line and you're not going anywhere, you're staying still or putting yourself behind. I know, I know what B is, but I'm going to let you do it. I'm not going to interrupt you. No, no. Are you, you sure? Go. Yep. You want to take a guess? Blame. Yep, absolutely. What's E? Oof. Uh, envy? No, but that's a good one. Mm. Excuse. Ah, uh, yep, cool. And then, any ideas for D? Distracted. Denial. Denial. So... If we're living below the line, we're living in blame, excuse, and denial. So, I have used this as a tool of reflection. So, if I ever get into, like, a situation where I feel a bit, like, mentally stuck, or if I'm feeling, like, a bit wound up about something, or upset about something, or feeling unmotivated then I just think ownership, accountability, responsibility, and it's such a good driving tool. Yeah, it's awesome. Mm. Especially like 12, did you say you learned yeah. this? And obviously at the time it didn't really resonate. Not at all. But that's a sweet setup from a teacher at 12 because that's like a lot of people, their first entrance into high school. Definitely. So obviously it talks to you a lot about Look, you're responsible for whatever happens here. You can blame teachers for whatever, yeah. but it is really up to you. I'm sure that's a great thing for maybe the teacher to hear if he hears it as well. Yeah, who was it? Mr. Luckin. Mr. Luckin. Shouts Luckin. to Mr. Luckin. You're the man. <laughs> that's fucking epic. Yeah, so, yeah. I'll post it on our, our Facebook and Insta and stuff so people can see. Cool. I might have to talk to someone about getting, like, an animated video made because I think that'll really, really help people. Yeah, oh, honestly, it's helped me so much. In so do you have this hang hung up or no? It's just, like, I mean, you've I not... used to. Yep. All the time. Um, And I've also, like, written this down for lots of people as a tool as well. You've been writing with it for, like, 16 years now, so you don't <laughs> yeah. need to write it up. You've got Even it Even though check, I but... did get it wrong just before. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's fine, though. But, no, that's cool. It's always great having little tangible tools and things like that you can yeah. you can put in place definitely well i realized after so long that i had been living below the line mm-hmm. and blame excuse and denial that was all that i was doing so it's yeah it's a nice shift to be above the line so what are some things that people can do to get from here to here what is it like give us one or two practical things that you believe people can employ to to help them make that shift so yeah that's a really good question um i think like 
quite often if you are suffering from depression or anxiety or you know just you're in a bad place at the moment then it's so easy to use blame excuse and deny and put that on other people um it being someone else's fault for why you're feeling the way that you are or um, something might have happened in your past that you feel is really holding you back but no matter what any change that you want to make in your life it's up to you and if you can hold your own hand through that process of becoming accountable becoming accountable is the best thing that anyone can ever do for themselves wicked yeah well usually i ask people a token question everything but i think you've answered right there (laughs) for those for those waiting for the you know there's someone listening what would your advice be that's your advice right there so that's cool i don't need to ask that (laughs) what do you think like i'm interested to know like in your own words everything you've talked about it doesn't come without a lesson like you know, I know with all the shit I've been through and the guests I've been through, all this stuff, it's, it's taught them a handful of things. What are some of the things you think you've learned or that you keep top of mind? Like we've talked about not assuming people's stories and not mm-hmm. passing judgment. We never know what they're going through. You know, I've spoke about my friends who have been trying to have kids and you spoke about um, the, the story that was created around you having this fictional disorder, uh, eating disorder. What, are, what else has it taught you? Like it sounds like you've really shifted from not being super confident in yourself Mm. to having a lot of self-belief and you really want to instill that in other people like you want to scream it from the rooftops absolutely quite honestly like maybe afterwards i'll stand on the rooftop (laughs) and i'll scream it (laughs) but honestly just yeah i've I've actually forgotten what the question was because i was just getting so into what you were saying yeah yeah well all it is, is is just what um yeah, me. Even no, what's it taught you? What What has your journey in life taught you so far? So it is just really just back yourself. Like you are worthy of your emotions. You're worthy of your feelings. You are worthy of having down days. You are worthy of being absolutely spastic if you want to be. <laughs> you're worthy of laughter. You're worthy of every single emotion. So if anyone tells you that you shouldn't be feeling a certain way, maybe to some degree if it's really hurting you, then you need to look at making changes. But you can and that you should and that you will. Sometimes things just take a little bit longer for other people, but you will find your happiness. Sweet. Yeah. And what have you got coming up? You're one in the pipeline. What are some stuff that you can tell us about? I know some of it you've got to be secret school about because oh. you're timing things up. But share with us some of the cool things you've got coming up. I've got some really positive things happening at the moment. So moving into summer, I'm releasing a summer collection. It is all full of nice, bright colours, fabrics and shapes that make you feel good i've been doing some filming here in new plymouth with some really talented models um photographers videographers shout them out if you want name drop shout out some people he's fantastic at what he does Mm. uh natalie war photographer um sorry mark he's doing the filming Mm -hmm. um he puts in so much work so much work and he's so good at it Amber Smithers, she's doing makeup. She's just so lovely, so good to work with. Um, I've got a few different models. I want to keep their names a secret because I want that to be a bit of a surprise. But 
the best team just yet. Everyone's been so good and everyone's kind of had their own take on it as well. Um, so it's been really inclusive for everyone. Cool. But we've been using um, cool like areas of Tadanaki to help push um, and give exposure to their businesses as well. So it's going to be yeah, a really cool film. Awesome. Yeah. can feel the excitement. Yeah, and awesome. now I'm getting excited to cool. have to let us more... <laughs> know more about when it's all going down and stuff like Definitely. that so we can Definitely. get on board and help you out with plugging it and things like that cool. Cheers, awesome Look, is there a final word or anything you want to leave before i let you rock and roll um just basically thank you oh, sure. yeah <laughs> it's been it's been awesome like we've known each other a long time we worked out before yeah but um yeah, you know, you said you listen to the premise of the podcast and stuff and you got led into some things you didn't know about me and today I got to see a side of you I didn't know about. So, so cool. it's been pretty cool to see how our paths have intertwined over time and now we're here on the 27th and it's I all know. good. <laughs> but awesome, though. Thank you for coming on. Cool. Thank you, Heather. There it is, episode four of the Best Side Podcast with the one and only Brooke Barrett. Make sure you check her out on all social to find out what she's got going on. A brand new clothing line is in the pipe. Uh, right now should be released any day now so make sure you keep an eye out for that stuff all online you need to head to the best side uh, instagram facebook pages to find out how you can find her on all social once again I'd like to thank brooke for joining me on the podcast i know we're definitely going to be doing a part two we, we've caught up and we've talked about some things that she left out and some other things that she thinks um, people can really benefit from so living above the line if you were writing down or sketching along with us or if you weren't go back and listen to that segment and actually map it out it's pretty cool to see and once again i'll put a lot of stuff on our socials so you can see um, how exactly she goes about that if you're on facebook and you've and you joined us through the facebook event uh, for the release of the podcast you would actually see me use the picture of her, her drawing that above the line analogy um, and stuck it up in that event make sure you give us a review uh, if you could please uh, spotify apple podcast iHeartRadio, facebook instagram wherever you are listening please give us a review it helps us spread the word and let people know what we're up to it's the best side podcast conversations worth having